Well, if you've ever walked into a dead church, quote unquote, it's a bummer. Because it looks like everybody who's there is just kind of there, but zoned out and not really passionate. And it could be a frustrating experience to see no one with passion, with life. How does a church end up at that place? And how can we remedy it so that we're alive again? We're going to find out that remedy today as we look at the church of Sardis, the dead church, on Walk in Truth. These are the teachings of Pastor Michael Lance. It's our goal to build up believers and to reach out with God's truth to all people. Before we get started with today's message, we want to let you know that this is a listener-supported ministry. Call with your gift at 844-48-TRUTH. That's 844-48-TRUTH. Now, here's Pastor Michael. Here's the deal, folks. Whatever the timing of the rapture may be, whether it's pre, mid, pre-wrath, post, the, the Christian community in the world, and really in every generation, has had its share of trouble or tribulation. And there are some people who have been, uh, let's say, playing church, that when the second coming happens, you know, there are people who put off a true commitment to Christ and they say, well, when I think things are really going to hell in a handbasket, that's when I'll get serious with Christ. But how do you know that at that time you'll be able to get serious if you continue to harden your heart to God? How do you know that you might just perish before then or, or you might buy into the Antichrist life? You don't have spiritual discernment. You don't have the Holy Spirit. How do you know? If you can't live for Christ now when things are relatively easy in America, come on. How are you going to live for Christ when things are very difficult? There are people who they'll leave a Bible tract on their desk at work, but they, they don't want to get saved because they will say, well, I, I want to live it up a little bit first, right? Then maybe I'll become a Christian. It's not that they're saying they don't believe in God. They're just saying, I'm going to put it off and to put it off obviously is a mistake. Jesus says, you won't know what hour I'm going to come upon you. That could be Sardis having to deal directly with the Lord's discipline. It could be that when they die unexpectedly, or it could be uh, germane to the second coming as well. Look at verse 4 of Revelation 3. But you have a few people in Sardis who have not what? They've not soiled their garments. Now, one of the things that was happening in Sardis is that the wool industry was very famous there. And so when you hear of soiled garments, it, it, the Greek word here is that which pollutes, that which stains. The book of James says, this is pure and undefiled religion in the sight of our God and Father. To visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. Remember, the church at Sardis is living in an area where there's so much depravity. There's the temple of Artemis. There's the imperial cult to the Roman emperor. So much temptation. And if you look at verse 4, Jesus says there are just a few people in Sardis who are not soiled. Man, this world can soil you. I mean, there is so much trash and garbage in this world. When Jesus addressed the religious Pharisees, he said, you know, 
You look good on the outside. You're like a whitewashed sepulcher. You wash the outside of the cup and dish, but inside I know what you're like. You're full of dead men's bones and all manner of corruption. You're soiled on the inside. You look good on the outside. To Sardis, he says, you have a name. Maybe you even have a little church building there, but there are only a few, look at verse four, who have not been soiled. They have not soiled their garments. Wow. I mean, we, we, we look at passages in the scripture and the, the disciples said, Lord, how many are going to be saved? Many or few? And Jesus said, there are many chosen, but, but there are few that seem to enter. Jesus said, the, the gate is narrow and the, the way is narrow that leads to life and there are few that find it. Now, I do believe that many, many people are going to be there on that day because of the grace of God. But the way is narrow in this sense. Jesus is the only way. If you're in Sardis and you won't confess Jesus, then you don't have the one who saves. So that's how the way is narrow. Don't think of works righteousness when we say these things. Think of the fact that Jesus is the way. And if you will confess me, Jesus says, before men, I won't confess you before my Father who's in heaven. And that seems to be the root of the issue. There are only a few who haven't sold their garments. Look at verse four. And they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. I think the few that hadn't sold their garments and the fact that they will walk in white, see the, see the, the idea of white there? When a bride wears a white wedding dress, when we see white uh, in other passages that we're gonna get to in the book of Revelation, those who have washed their garments and the blood of the lamb and they, they wear white. White is a symbol of, very important, justification. See, we have all kinds of stains and blemishes. I've got my bucket loads of them as that I've picked up along the way. But Jesus Christ has made me white as snow in his sight. Even though my sins be as scarlet, Isaiah 1, I think it's verse 18, I will make them white as snow. Before God, I don't have any stains or blemishes. I have the righteousness of who? Jesus Christ credited to my account by faith. I am clean before the Father, unaccusable by the devil. No charge against me will stick because when Christ When God sees me, God the Father sees me, he sees me through the perfection of his son and all God's people said, thank you, Lord. They will walk with me in white. Don't don't think that this is about your, your good works. Now, your good works testify to a real faith and there's a place for that. But the worthiness and the overcomers are those who exercise faith in Jesus Christ. But it's about to get prickly. Everybody ready? Tighten your seatbelt a little bit. Here we go. He who overcomes shall thus be clothed in white garments. And I, says Jesus, will not erase his name from the book of life. And all God's people say, what does that mean? Does God have an eraser? Now, there are some people, and remember the book of life, you know, Jesus said, don't don't, uh, rejoice that the spirits are subject to you in my name. Rejoice in Luke 10 that your names are recorded in heaven. Oh, 
Those who na whose names were not written in the book of life were cast into the lake of fire when we get to Revelation 20. Don't want that happening. Is my name in the book? Oh, oh this is like the most important thing. Because if you ain't in the book of life, the only other thing I can think of is the book of death. One time I was talking to my sister on the phone. She said, what are you doing, Michael? And I said, I'm having a bowl of life cereal. She says, better than a bowl of death. Amen, sister. Cinnamon life. Huh? Now, there are some scholars that believe that this is the image that somewhere up in the heavens, God has a book of life with every name of every human who's ever existed. It's all there. And Christ's death is sufficient. He's the propitiation not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world, 1 John 2, 2. So here's what they say. They say, but that atonement on the cross only becomes effectual or only becomes good if one receives Christ. So every name is written there, all people, all time. But if you don't receive the, the cross and the shed blood of the lamb, here's what happens. That's an eraser, by the way, for those of you who are listening to the audio. And you get erased out of the book. Ouch. Scary. Is there an eraser? Well, what is, what is going on here? We see in the book of Exodus, the idea of blotting one's name out of the book of life. We I think there's a passage in Daniel, similar idea. Turn over for a second to Revelation 13. Revelation 13. Take a peek at verse 7. And it was given to him, Revelation 13, 7, to make war with the saints and to overcome them. And authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. And all who dwell on the earth who will worship him, we're speaking now of the Antichrist, everyone whose name has not been written from what? The foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. Okay, I set out that image for you. There are some commentators and scholars who believe that's the image. I'll tell you, I, I don't believe that. Here's why. I believe that everyone who is saved or ever will be saved, their name was written in the book of life from the foundation of the world. It ain't going anywhere. No eraser. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. You can now listen to Walk in Truth with Michael Lance wherever you go and whenever you want. That's because Walk in Truth can now be heard on your favorite podcast app. Apps like iPodcast, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, and much more. Simply open up your favorite podcast app and search Walk in Truth. Make sure you subscribe so you'll know when a new show is available. Thanks for listening and partnering with Walk in Truth. Now back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walk in Truth. It ain't going anywhere. No eraser. You say, well, then what is the image here, Pastor Michael, that, 
Jesus is talking about. You'll, you'll read other scholars, go back to Revelation 3, look at the verse again. We'll just take a hard look at it. It's actually a promise. Jesus says, he who overcomes shall be clothed in white. I told you, I think that's justification. So that's placing faith in Christ. And I will, it's actually a promise. I will not erase his name from the book of life. So someone like John MacArthur, if you read his study Bible or commentary, he will say, people have taken what is a promise and made it into a threat. And he, he believes that that is an unjust conclusion based upon just the language itself. It's actually a promise. It's not a threat. But there's an interesting history here I want to just tell you about. And here's what it is. There were something like 18 benedictions that were prayed in the Jewish synagogue. And they had, one of them is something, it's called something like the, the Jewish, I think it's called Manim. And this is what the, the Jews in the synagogue would pray. Now, I'm not talking about Jewish Christians or those who were charitable. I'm talking about like the Pharisaical types. They would go into the Jewish synagogue and they would pray something like this. May all the Nazarenes, Christians, in this city, remember the synagogue in Sardis was very big, very huge. May all those who are among the, the, the Hebrew word that I just described to you, the benim, is the heretics and the Nazarenes, that's the Christians. May they all be blotted out of your book of life. This was part of their regular prayers in the synagogue. They prayed that no Christians would be in God's book of life. A regular prayer in the synagogue. And remember, I showed you pictures of the synagogue. Here's the deal, folks. And I think this is solid. I think Jesus is answering that prayer and saying, they may pray that all the time in the synagogue, that you would be erased as a Nazarene, but your name will never be erased in my book if you confess my name and trust in me for your salvation. Are you with me? I think Revelation 3, 5 on solid ground is answered by that historical insight that actually what Jesus is saying is though they pray that you won't be in the book, I will not, look at the middle of verse 5, erase his name from the book of life. Not going to happen. I don't care what they pray against you. Your name is in my book forever. Praise God. And I will confess his name before my father. Jesus said, if you confess me before men, I will confess you before my father and the holy angels and the gospels. And here it's repeated. I will confess his name before my father and before his angels. And then finally, verse six, he who has an ear, let him hear. Would you notice what the spirit says to the churches? What was the biggest problem in Sardis? Well, if you don't have the Spirit, you don't belong to Christ. Jesus said, unless you're born again of the Spirit, you will not see the kingdom of heaven. The seven spirits are mentioned early on in the address to the church at Sardis. I think we're on solid ground to say that's the Holy Spirit. And I think the main issue with the church at Sardis is that there's a bunch of people, Christian in name, who are not born again of the Holy Spirit. Are you? You say, well, how does one really know? And what does it mean to be born again? 
You know, I've watched the football games with the guy with the multicolored wig on holding John 3.3. Unless one is born again, he will not. And, he, and he's a little bit of a wild-eyed dude, right? You must be born again! Right? That's kind of the image we got from the 70s. Maybe in the 60s. And I remember talking to people, and people would say something like this to me. I'd say, hey, uh, you go to church anywhere? Are you a Christian? And they'd say, I'm a Christian, but, but I'm not one of them born-againers. <laughs> you know what that means? That means I'm a normal Christian, not like the guy who wears the multicolored wig when the field goal goes through the uprights. I'm, I'm not that. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a non-born-again Christian. Because <laughs> in essence, that's what you're saying, right? I'm a Christian, but I'm not a born-againer. One day, we had moved into our house in 1995, and the little cutout where they put the uh, real estate sign was still there, and it was November, so me and a young man that I was discipling at the time, we, we put a huge cross up where the real estate sign was right in the front yard of my house, just moved into the neighborhood. Boom! Huge cross right there. So a little old man come walking by. He's my neighbor. Welcome to the neighborhood. And he looked up at this big cross and he went, oh, you're not one of them, are you? And I said, well, what exactly do you mean by one of them, sir? You're not one of them born againers, are you? And I said, there's no other kind. Hold on, let me get my wig. So for the next 45 minutes, I debated this little old man. He said he knew Greek and read Greek. Spit was flying in my front yard. The dog went into his doghouse. My family went inside. They said, oh no, here he goes again. And I said, listen, old man. No, I didn't talk to him that way. <laughs> but he kept saying, I know Greek, I know Greek. I said, well, if you know Greek, then you know the, what Jesus said in the New Testament. Now look, can I put it simply to you? To be born again is to start over. You see, when you come into this world, sadly, because of the sin of Adam, you're dead in trespasses and sins. And you don't, you don't really realize it, but all of a sudden, life goes on, and you get older, and you, what do you sense inside? An emptiness? We even call it a deadness? And so we start seeking it through, we want to fill it through pleasure, fame, achievements, money, relationships. You, you make your list, right? And the Bible says, no, you have to have the life of God come into you. And you can be born again to a living hope in Christ. That was the problem. See, what the Lord is saying is hear the voice of the Spirit. The Spirit came to convince the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment, and to lead us to Christ. And he often knocks at the door of people's hearts. You need me. I don't know if you can think back to the time when you became a Christian and you think about circumstances and people. How many of you felt like you were being surrounded by Christians everywhere? They're coming out of the woodwork, baby. <laughs> the next one, you want to go to church? The next one, you want to go to church? No, I don't want to go to church! And then finally, you just said yes to satisfy one of them. The Holy Spirit was pounding at your door. And Jesus says, you must be born again. But look, we need to walk and step with the Spirit. Would you bow your heart with me? Father, as we think about these subjects and um, 
You know, the Bible tells us to be filled with the Spirit. We think about the church at Sardis that, man, it was on life support. And Jesus, you even said it was dead. But you're the God who can bring life where there's deadness. In fact, we as Christians have experienced that very thing. We've been resurrected to life, spiritually speaking, born again, where there was deadness, there's now life. Where there was hopelessness, there's now hope. And Lord, in Sardis, there was hope. And the good news is that the, the church apparently repented because there's a famous bishop from Sardis who's an apologist in the second century who carries the torch and the church seems to have fought through it. And thank you for that reality. Thank you for that little historical insight that the church was still alive in Sardis. And Lord, we, we can't help but think of Corona. We think of Southern California. We think of how many things can soil us in this world how many compromises it's so easy to make. It, it can be hard to be a Christian. But Lord, as we walk in step with your spirit, as we experience resurrection power, man, we can be more than conquerors through him who loved us. And I pray that those who are here tonight would have a fresh experience with your Holy Spirit. It experience the power of, of almighty God in their lives. And with your head and heart bowed, if you've not met Christ, Maybe some of this is fearful to you because you're not sure that you're a Christian. Well, why don't you make sure right now and turn from your sin and trust in Christ. He died on the cross for you. He loves you. He shed his blood. He rose from the dead. Trust in him. Say, Lord Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to know you tonight. I want to, I want to know that my name's in that book of life. I, I want to have my sin forgiven. I want to walk with you. And if you're a Christian tonight and maybe you felt a little dead, a little bit parched, a little dry, ask for a fresh touch from His Holy Spirit. Do some business with God right now. And Lord, for this precious congregation, may you just breathe on them, pour out your Spirit, refresh them. Let times of refreshing come from your Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' holy and matchless name. Amen and amen. You know, if you prayed that prayer to open your heart to Jesus Christ, you've gone from death to life, from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. By trusting in Jesus Christ, you've trusted in the Prince of Life who wakes up the dead, who brings us out of that deadness in our sin to life in Jesus Christ, eternal life and life more abundantly. What an exciting thing. And if you have been a Christian that's been asleep and you feel like, man, I've been dead to the things of God, I pray that you've been awakened as well because we need to awake and be wise about how we spend our time. And God is so good. He will give us a second and a third chance and so many opportunities to wake up to what we need to be as the people of God. Hey, if you've made a decision to give your life to Jesus for the first time, to rededicate your life to the Lord, we would like to know. Reach out to us today at walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. It really means a lot to our team to know about the impact that this ministry is making in your life. Let us know what you did in committing your life to Christ. 
Now, if you're local and you're not busy tomorrow night, you're traveling by Corona right near the 91 and 15 freeways, come on out to Living Truth. I would love to meet you. I'd love for you to be part of the Wednesday night service that happens here each Wednesday at 7 p.m. And we're teaching the incredible deep book of Job, the problem of evil and the power of the gospel. We're wrestling with this problem of evil that we face in our world week in and week out. But we're looking to the hope of the gospel. Is there any redemptive meaning to suffering? What do we do with the problem of evil all around us? Well, the book of Job addresses those things, and you can come out and share in that teaching and in some great worship and fellowship when you come to Living Truth at 1009 Arsenal Way in the city of Corona. It's 1009 Arsenal Way in Corona. Now, you can download our Living Truth app in your app store, and you'll know exactly what's going on at the church. You can get all the information that you need. The Living Truth app is free, so download it today. Remember to look for that red logo with the pillars representing the church as the pillar and support of the truth. That's what this ministry is all about. Now, tomorrow we're going to continue to teach in Revelation chapter 3, but this time we're going to learn about a faithful church, not a dead church, but Philadelphia, the faithful church, the one that the Lord commends and does not correct. And we need to be thinking about what kind of church are we? What does the U.S. church look like today? How would the Lord of the church assess your church, your home fellowship, and mine? These are good questions to consider. We'll look at the faithfulness of Philadelphia tomorrow on Walk in Truth. Make sure you tune in, tell a friend about what you're hearing, and we'll catch you then. Remember, you can listen to today's program and previous ones whenever you want on our website, walkintruth.com. That's walkintruth.com. Thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, encouraging you to reach out with God's truth to all people.